What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. guys it's Jalen and welcome back to another episode of my podcast J Talks. This week I wanted to kick off the episode with another conversation in regards to last week's episode in which I talked about the the year that we've had in the following of George Floyd's murder and where we've gone socially, where we've gone politically, where I think we still need to go, things that we did that were wrong, things that I did think that we did that were very very progressive and very successful to the Black Lives Matter movement in general and getting George Floyd his justice after the fact. I also talked about the trial more in depth and at the very end of the episode I talked about where we started in regards to seeing police brutality, where we started where we started in terms of seeing visual representations of police brutality in terms of the Rodney King case and where that's come today in terms of the creation of the Black Lives Matter movement and modern day instances of police violence and how we've learned how to react and respond to them. What I want to talk about this week is a conversation that I had with my mother actually just a couple weeks before I made that episode for you guys, before I put that episode out for you. And it was about why the witnesses to George Floyd's murder did not quote-unquote do more, in my mother's words. And I, I wanted to talk about that because I feel like that's, that's a mindset that a lot of, not, I don't want to say a lot, but I feel like that's a mindset that all, all of our minds go to, quite frankly, all of our minds go to whenever we see things like this happen. We're always like, why, did, why didn't the witnesses do more? Why didn't the people in the area do more? And I'm, I would be lying if I said that my brain didn't occasionally go to that place too. And it takes me being logical and rational and reasonable and not thinking with my heart and instead thinking with my head to remind myself as to why that is. So I wanted to come on here and have that conversation with you guys and just talk about what I told my mom in that conversation and the conversation that we had, because I think this is an important thing to talk about. And I think, and I, I, I kind of like am kicking myself in the shins because I, I, I really hate that I didn't put it in last week's episode, but obviously the nice things about podcasts is that they come out every single week and I can control what's in them. So obviously I'm having this conversation with you guys now because I just, I just think it's that important. But like I said, the, the conversation that my mom and I were having, we were talking about we were actually talking about the trial. We were actually talking about the the witnesses and what they were saying in their testimonies about what what they saw when they witnessed George Floyd losing his life and witnessed George Floyd having his life taken away from him. And I was talking about, you know, the people that were there and just everything. We were kind of just conversing about the entire thing. I, I honestly couldn't tell you what the entire conversation was about. But, you know, my, my mother said this, this seemingly abrasive and I, I just think very out of touch and very tone deaf sentence that made me see red for a couple of seconds before I was able to like rationally respond to her. And she said in, in, in these almost exact words, I don't understand why they didn't do more. Because if I was there, I would have been screaming, I would have been yelling, I would have f- probably physically gotten involved to stop them from taking his life. He was laying there screaming and crying about how he couldn't breathe. He was laying there crying out for his deceased mother, clearly someone that was in emotional duress, and everyone was just standing there. And my first response to her, the first thing out of my mouth in response to that, is I said, what could, what more could have been done to save George, George Floyd's life without also putting more lives in danger? Because 
there were unarmed civilians. Granted, there were about a dozen and a half. There were, there were a good amount of people, especially once the the violence actually did ensue. There were a good amount of people that did gather around to to witness and see what was happening. And you know, like I said, there were there were a good amount of unarmed civilians there, but there were also four armed cops there. Four cops with tasers, four cops with guns, four cops with batons, four cops with a ton of weaponry that could have done a lot of damage to that group of people. A group of people with nothing but their voices and with nothing but their fists. What what could they have done? And I also made a point to note very importantly to her is that Minneapolis is a very black city. Minneapolis is a pretty, pretty black city. And a lot of the witnesses that were standing around George Floyd that were congregating around what the scene that was unfolding in front of them were all black people. There was black children in that crowd. I, I said it last week when I was talking about the trial. There was a, a child that testified in the trial. The the girl that recorded was 17 years old at the time. There, there was everyone in that crowd ranging from young children to full-grown men and women who a full-grown man who probably outweighed some of the cops that were there. Like there was there was a huge difference of people, difference of types of people in that crowd. But but the the overarching point that I wanted to make was like George Floyd was being murdered because he was black. George Floyd had the cops called on him because he was black. George Floyd was suffering at the hands of racism in terms of the interaction that he was having with those police because of the color of his skin. What did you expect? A crowd of people who looked, talked, and acted like him to do to save his life without also putting their lives in danger. And she couldn't come up with an answer for me. She couldn't come up with a logical, sound, and reasonable answer for me. She just said, I don't know, but I just wish someone who would have done more, I wish he was still here today. And I said, I wish he was still here today too. I wish he didn't have to die too. But you cannot blame the witnesses for George Floyd's death. You can't get angry at the people who were there because they experienced something so traumatic. The witnesses of George Floyd's murder will probably never be able to recover from that. I, I've said it before and I'll probably say it a million times before I die. Black people have such an intrinsically ingrained fear of the police in this country. And having to watch someone who, like I said, looks, walks, talks, and maybe even acts like you being murdered by police when you already are so afraid of what could happen in your interactions with the police, I, I, I cannot even compartmentalize what those people will have to deal with, what they've had to deal with for the last year and what they'll have to deal with moving forward in their lives because they are probably so traumatized from that event, having to be reminded of their second-class citizenship in America, especially when it comes to interacting with the police. You know, you it to me, that gives the same energy of... And, and I told this to her, I was like, to me, that gives the same energy of like blaming a girl for wearing a short skirt for getting raped. You already have someone present who's actively committing a crime. You already have a man present who's committing a rape. You already have a police officer present who's committing a murder. To blame outside parties, to blame people who had nothing to do with it, to blame people who are going to move on with their lives and be traumatized by that event, to blame people who, if they tried to get involved, if they tried to prevent his life probably just would have died too. And that would have done nothing to save George Floyd's life. It only would have ended in more death. It only would have ended in more hashtags. And that was like the point I was trying to make. And she kind of did come to terms with it. And she kind of was like, okay, you're right. Like, you know, I, I was, I was thinking too irrationally. That was the wrong way to put it. That was the wrong way to phrase it. She's like, I, I just, you know, I'm so angry at, at everything. And I just wish that 
something had been done to save him. And I said, I, I wish something had been done to save him too, but putting more lives in danger, that's not the something that's going to save him. And I, I you know, like I said, I want to talk about this because I, I, I see this argument a lot. And I also think that this is where our minds go to subconsciously a lot whenever we see stuff like this happen. Not, not even exclusively to George Floyd, but in a lot of cases of police brutality, we, we inadvertently blame the suspect or we inadvertently blame the witnesses for this person's death, for this person's suffering. You know, we automatically think, well, why did the suspect, why did the suspect do X, Y, and Z? Or why didn't this witness and or these witnesses do more? Seemingly unaware to or apathetic to the fact that in the vast majority of these cases, like I said, you already have a police officer actively harming someone unjustly. Like I already said before, if you would not blame a woman for her being raped, do not blame a black person or the witnesses for their own murder. It is not the police's job to kill people, even if the black person in your eyes deserves to be killed, even if they were a mass shooter, even if they did rape someone, even if they did hurt someone. We have a legal system for a reason, don't get me wrong, that's just as corrupt as our policing system is. But again, it's not the police's job to kill people. It's the police's job to detain people, to de-escalate situations, and to let our legal system do its job and do its work. And that was like, I, like I said, I didn't want to spend too much time on that. I just wanted to drive that point home because I think, I think there's something so important about that conversation to be had. And I think there's some, there was something so important about having that conversation with my mom. Because like I said, after, after saying all of that, she did come to realize you know, the, the flaws in what she said, she did come to realize the, the internalized biases, the, and the implicit biases in what she said. And I, I think that we just, when, when stuff like this happens, when high intense, when we see people being murdered, when we have to live through these high intensity moments through the phone screen, or when people have to live through these high intensity moments in real life, we, like I said, we think with our hearts and not with our heads. Our emotions take over. We go into fight or flight mode. You know, we're stressed out. We are unable to think logically and rationally. And we, we think with our subconscious mind instead of taking the time to slow down and actually digest and dissect the information that we have in front of us and to come up with a logical solution and a logical way to think about it. So that's, that's what this podcast is for. That's what I was hoping to do today. I was hoping to explain that in a way that made sense. I was hoping to make a point that made sense and was pertinent to this issue. And I hope that I helped you see that in a different kind of light. All right, now the main topics for this week's episode, which I am so excited to get into because they are so important. And I hope that I'm able to make you guys laugh a couple times along the way. First, I would like to discreetly pull the state of Florida aside and let them know that their racism is showing. Again. Last Thursday, the Florida Board of Education banned the teaching of critical race theory in Florida public schools. And while I already addressed why the teaching of critical race theory in our schools is not only beneficial, but essential in a previous episode, which was episode 20, it was titled Black History is Our History, I would suggest you go listen. But regardless of that, I wanted to talk about this specific instance for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, Governor Ron DeSantis's justification needs to be addressed. Governor DeSantis said that the teaching of critical race theory in schools will, and I quote, this is exactly what he said, I played the video over and over again so that I could get the exact words of what he said, cause people to think of themselves more as a member of a particular race or based on skin color rather than based on the content of their character. Which, as I'm sure a lot of you are aware, 
is a play off of a famous Martin Luther King Jr. quote during his speech to those who participated in the March on Washington in 1963. And I wanted to bring up this specific instance because if there is anything that racists love, it's misusing Martin Luther King quotes to justify their own ignorance. Like, they eat that shit up. And we saw this all last summer, and we also see it every single year on Martin Luther King Day, which I think is so disgusting, but rich at the same time. But above all, above all of that, I need you and every person that agrees with Governor DeSantis to know that when Martin Luther King said those words, he meant that he wanted his children to be seen as people in alliance with their race, not in spite of it. Meaning that he wanted his children to be appreciated for the fact that they were black, along with being appreciated for the fact that they were great people. Their race and the people that they were to work in tandem in order to make functional and considerate members of society. When you remove race from an equation when dealing with a black person, when you remove race from the equation when forming relationships with or hiring black people or just interacting with black people on a daily basis, you're removing a core part of that person because it is it is it is undeniable that there is still inequality in that world in our in our world specifically in our country i'm not going to spend one second debating that and that that inequality the the discrimination the different the differential of treatment that black people have faced is a core value and is a key player in forming who that person is going to be and who that person is so like i said by taking race out of that equation you are ignoring a huge part of who this person is. So like I said, when Martin Luther King said that, he wants race to work in with alliance of who his children will be considered when they are being considered for job interviews, when people are forming relationships with them, when they go to school and children want to be their friend. That's what he was talking about. He doesn't want race to be taken out of the equation of that because like I said, you're ignoring a huge part of who that person is. By, by ignoring that fact, by ignoring what he meant when he said that, you are just further showing why critical race theory is essential and why people are fighting for it to be taught in the first place. And the second point I wanted to touch on, once again, Republicans are finding solutions to problems that do not exist. Does this seriously not anger anyone else? Critical race theory just became a conversation less than a year ago. It has barely been implemented in even the most progressive and blue parts of the country, and Republicans are already finding and looking for ways to destroy it. They are taking away something that will, for the most part, only have positive effects on the communities that it, re that it reaches. And they are taking away that opportunity before it's even happened, before it's even been a forethought, before we've even been able to reap the benefits or at the very least see the potential outcomes of having critical race theory be taught in our schools. Like, and, and more than anything, we are still, we're, even though we're coming out of it, we're getting back to some sense of normal, we are still in a pandemic. People are still struggling to find jobs. People are still struggling to make ends meet. People are still struggling to find functional and reasonably priced healthcare. And this is what y'all are focusing on? You're focusing on banning critical race theory being taught in schools when you could be passing literally any other or more helpful laws right now? Like I said, does this not anchor anyone else? Does this not infuriate anyone else, especially Republicans, because, I mean, you voted for these people, and now they're focusing on issues that, like I said, do not even exist yet. When they should be focusing on getting you better healthcare. When they should be focusing on, I don't know, making this country a better place for you and making it so that you can live more functionally and easily in the place that you were fucking born in. 
it just, like I said, I just don't know how people are more angry about this. Like you have people in office, in elected positions with power, with the power to put almost any act, any forethought, any idea into, into law, any bill into law, and they're spending their time focusing on issues that aren't even real. <laughs> issues that even if they were real, they probably still wouldn't be issues because they would just be making the lives of everyone in this country, not just black people, but everyone better. Uh, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Huh. Long story short, I'm not going to go too in-depth about why this is terrible and just going to further alienate us as individuals and a society from doing what is required of us to eliminate racism from our society. But if you have any more questions or want to understand more about why critical race theory is important, I would highly suggest that you go listen to the episode I did on why teaching critical race theory in school is important and teaching accurate history in school is important to not only our generations of today, but to our generations of tomorrow and why it can only make our society better. I highly suggest you go listen to it. It was, in my opinion, probably one of my better episodes. Um, like I said earlier, it is episode 20 and it is titled Black History is Our History. I'm going to do a smooth segue into just a short little subsection of this week's episode in regards to the fact that Juneteenth was dubbed a federal holiday by Congress. They passed a law, they passed a motion, whatever you want to call it, to make Juneteenth be recognized as a federal holiday, which means that federal employees get time off. By that point, most people are out of school, but you would get time off from school. Like, like I said, it's a federal holiday now. I want to address this for a couple of reasons. One, because this episode is actually coming out the day after Juneteenth. So to all of my black people in this country, happy Juneteenth. What a momentous day for us. This is truly a holiday for us. This is truly a holiday for us to celebrate. So again, happy Juneteenth. Not only that, but happy Juneteenth to everyone, because I think that it, that such a day signifies that we were one step closer to ha achieving true inequality, even though we haven't really reached it yet. But we're, we're, we're getting there, and I'm, I'm optimistic, and I hope that one day we'll be able to. So like I said, it was one step closer. So I hope everyone in the country is able to celebrate Juneteenth. I hope everyone is able to recognize the significance of Juneteenth. And if you don't recognize the significance of Juneteenth, or you don't even understand what Juneteenth is, or why it's a holiday, or what it means, I'm going to give you a little history lesson and tell you why it's important, why it is such a turning point in our nation's history, and why people are celebrating it now. Juneteenth, or June 19th, haha, <laughs> get it? June 19th of 1865 is considered to be the day that slavery was officially emancipated and all slaves in this country were officially emancipated in this country. It was the day when the message got to Galveston, Texas, which was the last city, town, whatever you want to refer to it as, to own slaves and to still have slaves be in shackles, I guess would be the best way to it would be the best way to put it. But the message by horse reached Galveston, Texas on June 19th of 1865, and those were the last slaves that were considered to be liberated in the effort to emancipate slaves and end slavery officially. So it's, it's seen as the official emancipation of slaves. It is seen as the official ending of slavery. And that is why we celebrate Juneteenth. It, it used to be a holiday that only really black people recognized. Only black people really celebrated for a very long time. But given everything that happened last year, given the re-education that a lot of people went through last year, white people learned what Juneteenth was, white people learned what the significance of Juneteenth was, and now a year later, they've turned it into a federal holiday. I want to talk about this for a couple of reasons. Um, some of them might be a little bit controversial. I'm just going to give you a heads up now. You might not agree with everything I'm going to say, 
Um, especially if you're a black person, especially if you're more progressive, which I know I, I never usually give that type of warning, but I, I'm going to explain everything and I'm going to explain why I feel the way I feel and why I kind of think the way I think about this. I do not like that they made Juneteenth a federal holiday. I do not like the way that they went about it, and I don't like that they did this when there's so much other and real work to be done. I think that this is very, very performative because we never asked for Juneteenth to be a federal holiday, and I say we as in Black people in terms of everything that we've been asking for and everything that we've been demanding for the last year. We never asked for, Ju asked for Juneteenth to be a federal holiday. Not only that, but we never even asked for Juneteenth to be recognized as a holiday. By making it a federal holiday, you're what? Just giving Congress another day off during the year? You're just giving what? Students another day off during the year? Why do you need a day off to recognize slavery and do something that you probably won't even recognize in the first place? Like that just, like I said, to me, that just seems so performative and that just seems like so kind of selfish in a way to me personally, especially because, I mean, we don't even have a black woman in the Senate right now. We have one black senator. And so what, you're going to give the day off to all of Congress when our Congress doesn't even accurately depict what our country looks like right now? I just, I don't know. Just to me, it seems very performative, especially because they have not passed the John Lewis Voting Right Act. They have not eliminated the filibuster. They have not passed the George Floyd and Policing Act. They haven't done anything that we've asked in for that we've asked for in the last year. They haven't put in any effort in to eliminating the Jim Crow filibuster. They haven't put any effort in to eliminating racist relics of our past that still exist within our governmental system that would make it easier to pass laws and enact systems in this country that would make this country a safer, better, and happier place for not just black people, but all of the people that live here. They have not put in the effort towards basic equality, which is what we've been asking for, not just in the last year, but since June 19th of 1865, the day that they're trying to celebrate or trying to make a federal holiday so that we can celebrate. They have not put any effort into actually making this country more equal, breaking down the barriers in this country that make it hard for black people to exist here. And that's what makes it seem performative to me, is like, we never asked for this, and this is, this has nothing to do, celebrating Juneteenth as a federal holiday will not mitigate the amount of racism that I've experienced in my life. It won't mitigate the amount of racism that my peers and other black people have experienced in their life. It won't mitigate the amount of black people that are being murdered by police. It won't mitigate the fact that Republicans are passing voting repre repressive voting laws all over the country. It won't mitigate any of that. This is coins in the well. This is pennies when we are impoverished, and this is a few grains of bread when we are starving. This is nothing compared to what actually needs to be done. This is nothing that actually addresses the root causes of racism in this country. And not to mention, but there are also 14 Republicans that voted against making Juneteenth a recognized federal holiday, which I think is like just crazy to me anyways. I actually, oh my God, I actually saw a tweet. I'm going to try and link it. I'm going to, I'm going to try and link it in the description of this episode because y'all need to see this. Someone took one of those like face combining apps, you know what I'm talking about, where like you can combine different pictures and combine different faces. They actually put the effort in of combining all of the faces of all of the congressmen because they were all white men, surprisingly, like, right? I bet you're so shocked. But they were, she, um, they combined 
all of the faces of the white men who voted against making Juneteenth a federal holiday. This this depiction, this man, I don't know what you want to call him, this this collage of these men looks like the most racist motherfucker ever. <laughs> I just there's like no it just it's so rich. Like it's just like this like really pale ch chubby white guy with a receding hairline with sunspots all over his face. Like he just looks like the epitome of racism in America. Like if I like if you tell me to picture a racist white guy, this would probably be what I picture. Like he just like disgusting. It just looks disgusting, but it looks so accurate and it's so funny. Like I said, I'll try and link it in the description. It was hilarious though. More than anything though, I, I also saw another tweet that just like chef's kiss. I read it and it just, it, it perfectly embodied everything about why this is performative and everything about why more needs to be done to recognize the inequalities that actually exist in this country instead of just focusing on, like I said, the performative stuff that really is immaterial to the greater of what is actually happening and what is actually necessary and being demanded from our government. Someone said that they made Juneteenth a national holiday when they're actively putting laws into place that would prevent students from learning about it. What is the point of making Juneteenth a federal holiday? What is the point of making Juneteenth a federally recognized holiday in our country if you are actively allowing state governments, state officials, even, even government officials, like United States government officials to speak against and enact laws that ban the teaching of critical race theory in school or ban the teaching of accurate history in our schools. What is the point? Students aren't going to learn about Juneteenth if, if you're banning critical race theories in school. Students aren't even going to have the chance. Nobody's going to know what Juneteenth is. We're going to be right back to square one last year when white people were learning what Juneteenth was without even without even knowing or willing or like willing to acknowledge beforehand what this what the significance was. We're going to be right back at square, at square one at white people not knowing basic pieces of our history. We're going to be right back at, at square one of people not just not knowing about what what Juneteenth was, but people not knowing about the Tulsa race massacre of people not knowing about the true atrocities of slavery. We're going to have another generation of kids that are growing up thinking that slave masters were nice to their slaves and thinking that slave masters and their slaves just sang kumbaya on their plantations before going out and picking cotton for them. Like, we are going to have such, again, we are just going to allow warped views of our history to not only be taught, but to also be substantiated in our schooling systems. So what is the point? I'm going to ask this again. What is the point of making Juneteenth a federally recognized holiday if you are actively preventing kids in schools from learning about the significance of it? Again, screams performative to me. Screams that you don't actually care about eliminating racism. Screams that you don't actually care about ending inequality in this country between black people and white people or between white people and all people of color. You have no concept of what black people are asking for. You have no concept of what black people actually need because you are not putting the effort into listening. So I would suggest if you actually give a shit, which, I mean, if you did, you would have listened last year, but if you actually give a shit, start listening because we are being loud and clear about what we need. We are being loud and clear about what we are asking for. Pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act pass the George Floyd and Policing Act, eliminate 
the Jim Crow filibuster. Eliminate it. There was no need for it. I don't want to hear it. Oh, but what if Republicans gain power again? Eliminate it. If, if you eliminate the filibuster and pass everything the progressives have, have been asking for since Joe Biden entered that White House in January, you won't have to worry about Republicans gaining power again. Never. You will never have to worry about it because Democrats will once again be loyal to you and go out and put the effort into voting. And not only that, but if you pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, you won't have to worry about Demo it being harder to vote for black people. You won't have to worry about it being harder to vote for Democrats. Make it so that people have an accurate and true representation of what our country looks like within their government systems. Like we're, we're, I don't even feel like we're asking for a lot. It's just that Democrats don't feel like putting in the work because, oh, what if Republicans gain power again? What if Republicans gain a majority? It's just that there's so much work. We can't cooperate with Joe Manchin. We can't. There's just so much to do. I don't I don't care about any of that because if you if you have the power, you have the White House, you have the House of Representatives, and you have the Senate. So if you actually cared about doing any of it, it would be so simple for you to eliminate the filibuster. And then after that, it would be simple for you to pass whatever the hell you wanted. Because like I said, you have the majority in all three branches of government right now. Except for the judicial branch, but like they're, they're, we, we won't, we won't talk about that right now. I just, I'm, I'm so tired of these excuses. I'm so tired of these excuses as to why things are not happening when we have been so clear about what we need from our government right now. So if you're going to keep the same energy, you're right. You are going to lose the majority. But if you hold up to these promises that you made when Joe Biden was campaigning, if you hold up your end of these promises that you made when Georgia was, right before Georgia was going to be flipped blue, you will never have to worry about Republicans gaining power again. And that is a promise. Next on the docket, I am going to wrap up this week's episode by talking about our favorite walking failed abortion ad. You're right. This week, I'm going to be talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Just in case your brain cells wanted to commit suicide this week, we need to have a conversation about Marjorie Taylor Greene and her abhorrent analogies, specifically the ones that compare COVID restrictions and mask mandates to the Holocaust. This has not just happened once either, which I think is astonishing that she's been able to get away with saying this shit more than once. Um, there, there are two instances that I'm going to specifically read to you today, but it, it has happened more than twice too. She's reposted stuff. She's retweeted stuff on her Twitter. She's posted stuff all over social media that has hinted to comparing the COVID restrictions and mask mandates and, you know, vaccination requirements to the Holocaust. And I mean, even, even conservatives haven't been able to save her at this point. Even in a, even conservatives have been like, lady, you need to stop saying what you're saying. Um, but I also not only want to talk about everything that she said and obviously why it's abhorrent, I don't even think I need to really go in depth as to why what she's saying is evil. I think it should be just said without words, no matter what side of the political line you're on. I think we should all be able to agree that like, okay, this lady's fucking insane and what she's saying is absolutely terrible. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, the, the first instance that happened that really gained traction was she was actually on a conservative podcast and she was comparing Nancy Pelosi's desire to keep, to maintain a mask mandate for members of Congress while they were within the U.S. Capitol to the Holocaust. And I'm going to read you exactly the quote that she said while she was on that conservative podcast. Then this is exactly what she said. Like, this was her words. Keep that in mind. You know, we can look back at a time in history where people were forced to wear a gold star, and they were definitely treated like second-class citizens, so much that they were even put in trains 
and taken to gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And this is exactly the type of abuse that Nancy Pelosi is talking about. I'm, I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to like dissect that before I read this the, the thing that she tweeted about that people got all up in arms about. Even Ben Shapiro replied and told her that she was a nutso and that she needed to take this down because she was being crazy. And if Ben Shapiro isn't even on your side, that's how you know you're too conservative. That's how you know you're so far right that you cannot be saved if Ben Shapiro doesn't even believe in you. The same man who said that WAP was not an accurate song because his wife never gets wet when they're having sex. Yes, this is this this is that same man. Keep that in mind. But this was a tweet that she tweeted just a couple weeks ago. It came out on May 25th of 2021 of this year. And she was referring to the the uh the the supermarket um chain Food City that was willing to drop the mask requirement for fully vaccinated customers and employees if they showed their vaccination record. And in response to that, like a completely sane individual would say, she said, Vaccination, vaccinated employees get a vaccination logo just like the Nazis forced Jewish people to wear a gold star. Vaccine passports and mask mandates create discrimination against unvaxxed people who trust their immune systems to a virus that is 99% survivable. And if you don't know, the gold star that she was referring to in both of those instances would be the Star of David, which is a six-pointed star that is, is prevalent in Jewish religion and that, you know, Nazis forced Jewish people in ghettos and in, in concentration camps and in death camps to wear to signify the fact that they were Jewish. First off, I want to say this. This is, I'm going to give you guys a quick history lesson right now. I don't know if you guys know this, but Hitler got his ideals from eugenics from horses. Hitler got his ideas from the perfect Aryan race, creating the perfect race in Germany from actually the, the, the systems that was used to breed perfect horses. There was the horses that are, um, uh, that were native to Germany and Poland and Austria, the parts of, um, Europe that Hitler invaded that Hitler would actually go to horse shows in to see these just pristine horses that were bred to perfection was Arabians and Lipizzaners. Both are huge show horses, specifically in Europe, also are considered very high class breeds here in the United States where we have other breeds that we hold to significance. And trust me, I bet you're like, where the hell is she going with this? She's talking about horses right now. But trust me, I'm, I'm going to tie this into everything that's going on right now. But anyways, like I said, Hitler got his eugenics ideals of creating the perfect Aryan race from seeing how horses were bred and seeing how horses were bred to, like I said, perfection in terms of Arabians and Lipizzaner breeds. I actually read a book on this. It's called The Perfect Horse. Um, you can buy it on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle or iBooks or in the bookstore, like whatever. It's it's really, really good. And it talks about, it, it not only talks about where Hitler got his ideals for, for eugenics, but it also talks about um, the effort to move and save a lot of these horses that Hitler saw as, as, a, as a staple for his eugenics program. To, to safety when Hitler was invading Poland and Austria and just massacring people. Not only that, but when the Russians were also invading these countries to drive the Germans back west, 
they they were starving and if they had found these horses they would have eaten them they would have slaughtered them and eaten them and taken the polish and austrian people who were trying to save them as prisoners fascinating book so so good i i highly recommend you read it anyways i digress i I'm, i apologize i'm getting so off track but anyways despite the fact that hitler got his eugenics ideals from horse breeding hitler got his tactics on how to eliminate the people who he saw as unfit to eliminate the people who he saw as quote-unquote dirtying the perfect blood, dirtying the German blood, he got those tactics from the United States, specifically how we treated, handled, and exterminated Native American people, and how we treated slaves. More so, though, how we treated Native Americans. He did get some of the ideals from how we treated slaves, like um, how people would work, the conditions that they would work in, in the death camps, and the concentration camps. He definitely got those from slavery, but more so, he studied the extermination tactics that we used against Native American people in this country, which is why I think it's so rich that Marjorie Taylor Greene, of all people, is comparing and, and saying how disgusting the Holocaust is and is comparing the Holocaust to our current COVID restrictions. Because in a way, and I wholeheartedly harness this belief, like, in a way, the United States is responsible for the Holocaust. And I, I, that may be a, a controversial thing to say because, oh, the Holocaust was so disgusting. The Holocaust was horrendous. It was the worst human rights atrocity in the entire history of the world. Yeah, and Hitler got his ideas for the Holocaust from us, from our atrocious history, from our disgusting history and how we treated Native Americans when Christopher Columbus came, when the settlers from Europe and Spain and England came, and we massacred those people. We gave them smallpox blankets. We raped their wives and children and murdered their husbands in cold blood. We burned them. We dug mass graves for them and shot them and let them bleed out in these mass graves. Hitler did all of that to Jewish people and to the other minority groups that he, that he targeted during the Holocaust. Like I, like I said, like, look, like read a history book. Read an, read an accurate history book. Don't read the history books that you were given in high school. Let me just say that. But read a history book on it. Look it up. And that's like, that's, that's the overarching point that I want to make. But more than anything, I want to I make the point that like, you do realize that wearing a mask and showing your vaccine record is something is not an infringement on your human rights. Like, that's very different than separating Jews into two groups and putting one of those Jew groups into crematoriums and gas chambers and filling mass graves with dead bodies. You do realize that one of those things is very, very different than being asked to wear a mask when you're going grocery shopping, right? Like, I just, I don't even know where these comparisons came from. I don't even know how she was able to get away with them. I don't even know how she's been able to get away with the, saying that shit once. Nonetheless, saying it multiple times and broadcasting it all over the place on social media, where it's just able to exist forever now. I don't know how she was able to get away with that. I genuinely don't. Because those things are not comparable, and if you think that they're comparable, you're either an idiot or... Actually, no, you'd really just be an idiot. I just, I don't, like I said, I don't know how you would compare an event as atrocious to the Holocaust to something that literally will keep your life safe and will keep the lives of other people around you safe. And I already said this in the episode where I talked, in, in the episode titled Another Vaccination Special, 
But vaccine records and vaccination cards have existed for decades. You realize this, right? Like, I hope every single person that is making these comparisons, and I hope every single person that is shitting on vaccine cards and saying how they're unconstitutional and they're infringement on my human rights or whatever, whatever you people are saying about them, I hope you know that these are things that have existed forever. You need a yellow card, which is... A va that proof that you've been vaccinated against ye yellow fever before you can travel to almost any South American or African country. You need proof that you've been vaccinated against typhoid fever and all of these other sicknesses before, like I said, you can travel to almost any developing nation or any South American or African country. This is not a new concept. And nobody before now has complained about it. Nobody before now has been like, it's my constitutional right to travel to Colombia and get yellow fever if I want to. Like, that's literally what you sound like. That is, that, is, that is practically what you're saying. That it is your constitutional right to get sick with a virus that could very well kill you, and not only kill you, but infect dozens, hundreds of other people in your circle, depending on how active you are in the communities around you, and how irresponsible you choose to be. I just like, it's my right to get sick if I want to. You sound like an idiot. <laughs> For genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, I don't care how disrespectful that sounds, you sound like an idiot. You truly, genuinely do. Like, if you don't want to get vaccinated, that's fine. But at the very least, like, wear a mask. Or at the very least, don't shit on the policies that are just meant to keep you safe. And at the very, very least, do not compare those policies to the Holocaust. Because then, like I said, I will feel comfortable calling you an idiot. Because you're an idiot and you sound like a bigot more than anything. Comparing the Holocaust to mask mandates? Oh my god, you sound like a bigot. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, in an effort to save her image and apologize for, ever for all of the abhorrent things that she said, visited the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. and held a press conference where I didn't even watch her press conference because, like, I'm gonna be honest, I practically have no idea what she said because, like I said, I, had, I did not watch her press conference. Listening to that woman talk, I, I lose brain cells. And at this point, I would prefer to hold on to all of the brain cells that I can, so I would prefer to not put myself in situations where they actively commit suicide on me. So, like I said, I did not watch that press conference with her, but from from watching, from reading other people talk about it, from watching other people talk about it, she pretty much said that, like, oh, yeah, the Holocaust was a real thing. Um, I'm sorry for all of the things that I said. This was a, hor a, a horrible event. Like, a couple- well, last year when she was running for office, I- she- wasn't she a Holocaust denier? I feel like that's- because she, she believed in the- in the Jewish space lasers, and she said a bunch of other anti-Semitic shit, or anti-Jewish stuff. I sh apparently anti-Semitic is not the political ter- the politically correct term to use anymore, so I apologize for saying that. But she said a, a bunch of discriminatory language against Jewish people in the Jewish community while she was running for office last year. And, like, a lot of stuff that hinted to her kind of being a Holocaust denier or downplaying how atrocious the Holocaust was. And it's like, this woman is 47 years old. This woman has almost been on this earth for, earth for half of a goddamn century. And she is just learning about how awful the Holocaust was. I learned about how awful the Holocaust was in sixth grade. <laughs> and this woman is just now learning because she had to visit the Holocaust Museum to do so. And the richest part about all of this was apparently it came out that Marjorie Taylor Greene actually visited Auschwitz when she was a teenager, when she was, like, a kid. And it's like, how, how does visiting the Holocaust Museum force you to come to terms with how terrible the Holocaust was, force you to realize that the Holocaust was we real? But at the same time, visiting Auschwitz, a place 
where hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives, a place where people experienced the worst events known to man in our history as a species, that that didn't that didn't do anything for you, that didn't do any reckoning for you, that that didn't you know ring any bells or make any connections for you, really? That is just such a huge red flag to me personally, to someone who I don't think actually gives a crap about what is going on or about what is actually happening. Oh, oh my god, I just uh talking about that woman is oh such a such an experience to read any headline with her name in it. Just like I just go into any headline with her name in it or any news story or any tweet that mentions her. I just go into it expecting a total shit show and expecting to have to reread what I'm reading four or five times in order to actually grasp that a person can be this ignorant and stupid. Like I, I, I'm so at a loss for words to describe this woman, that stupid is the is the most genuine and accurate word that I can use to describe her. She's just stupid. <laughs> She's just a stupid individual. Oh my god, I, I have a headache now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna log off for this week. Um, I already inadvertently gave you what was in my rotation this week. Even though I read that book last summer, I wholeheartedly recommend you read The Perfect Horse. Hold on, let me look up who it's by because I actually forget who it's by. All right, I took the time and I looked it up and I found it now. But the book is completely in its entirety titled The Perfect Horse, The Daring United States Mission to Rescue the, Pris the Priceless Stallions Kidnapped by the Nazis. And it's a book by Elizabeth Letts. Um, like I said, the book follows the... Because the United States knew that these horses were at risk of being killed. And the United and a lot of, there was General Patton, I believe his name was, but don't quote me on that because like I said, I read this book last summer and I've read a lot of books since then. So I might not remember it accurately. It was such a good book though, like such a good book. But I believe his name was General Patton and he was actually a horse lover. He was a devoted rider. He was a devoted shower before he became a um, lieutenant in the military. And he heard about these horses and he took the mission and he said, I will do everything in my power to save these horses. And he gathered a couple of other horse lovers in his team, um, a lot of other people who owned horses or showed horses um, and gathered them all together. And he wanted a team of people who were actually committed to helping these horses and saving their lives. So he got his team together and their, their only objective was to save these horses, like I said. And they had to, the horses initially, it, it bounces between the United States trying to find these horses and save them, and then the, the Austrian and Polish um, civilians who were actually taxed with trying to save these horses' lives. And it also talks about the actual horses themselves and their bloodlines and, you know, their personalities. And it was such a great story. It was, it was like, sh like, it was like heart stopping at some times because you wouldn't know, like, like they were like it was close to being the end of the line for not only these horses but these civilians and the United States soldiers that were trying to save them cuz like i said you had the germans on one side who would have taken them all as prisoners of war and even though the horses probably would have been better off if they were captured by the germans you still wouldn't have known what would have happened they wanted these horses to live out happy healthy lives and they wanted to continue to breed these horses because they were they were per the the sons and daughters they, and they were professional show horses themselves like these horses were worth probably thousands of dollars tens of thousands of dollars even in 1940 
you know, it, and, you know, you had the Germans on one side who would have taken them all as prisoners of wars and probably would have sent them to concentration camps. Or you had the Russians on the other side who also would have taken the men as prisoners of war, but also would have slaughtered the horses and eaten them because the Russians were starving and they were, you know, having to trek through Russian and Austrian and Polish winters. And it was just, it was a, it's a fascinating story. It's absolutely fascinating. And if you're a horse lover and you actually like history like I'm a huge horse lover and I love history I love reading about specifically World War II and the history of World War II it's such a good story I wholeheartedly recommend you buy it like I said it's like $4.99 on thrift books um you can buy it on like in the Apple bookstore or on Kindle for probably just a couple bucks more than that super good such a good read will definitely change your outlook on the war and help you understand that there were tons of different sides to the war there were tons of different objectives that people had during the war and these people's objectives were literally just to save these horses such a heartwarming story such a fascinating story and at the end it actually like for the last like five pages it actually does go in depth telling you about the eugenics that hitler got from seeing how these horses were bred and the, like the science behind it and everything and it like I said that is such that is so fascinating too I talked about that earlier but to actually read about it and to read about it personally and to actually see the where Hitler got his ideals from for eugenics I mean don't get me wrong like Hitler was a disgusting person but to see that he got it from horses and to see how pristine these horses bloodlines were like I said absolutely fascinating and if you're into history if you're into horses you will absolutely love this book as much as I did so that is definitely what's in my rotation this week. That's definitely what I'm giving you guys this week. And so yeah, definitely go buy that book and read it. And I hope you enjoy it if you do. All right, guys, with all of that being said, this week's episode is finally coming to a close. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and follow for weekly episodes that come out every single Sunday. Also be sure to share this episode and every other episode before now with someone you like, with someone who you think would enjoy it, with someone you care about, your friends, your family, your coworkers, people you see on the street, anyone who you think would enjoy this podcast, please feel free to share it with them. It helps me out a lot. Also be sure to follow me on all of my social media platforms. All of my handles are just at Jalen Tully. And more than anything, you guys, the most important part of every single episode that I record Always be sure to leave this episode and every episode before and after now ready to educate often, learn freely, and always love equally. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I will talk to you next week.